0: to what you
1: said
0: on paper. I live in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because... They have committed themselves to that over that, but somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read of the freedom of press, somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. We as a people will get to the promised land.
2: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the globe. Tonight, the final episode dealing with where are we now since the death of George Floyd? How difficult and how complicated it is that police officers, correctional officers, deputy sheriffs, and all
0: forms of law enforcement
2: are at an all-time high of wrongful shootings of African Americans and minorities in this country. The number hasn't decreased, it has increased. What's going on and what happened to the outcry the death of George Floyd? We visit that tonight in this final episode, Where Are We Now, with the death of George Floyd. Hang on, folks, we take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Tanique Wright, and the entire AJC radio team as we deal with the conclusion of our series, Where Are We Now, Since the death of George Floyd. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, the information that we will share on this final show tonight is troubling. It is heart-wrenching. And more and more stories continue to fall out uh, of the woodwork in regards to police uh, abuse, abuse of power, and the killing, as we said at the beginning of this series a little over three weeks ago, uh, in regards to what's going on in this country. Dave Zappolo, I know we have a couple of uh, stories we're going to share tonight with our listeners that has happened recently uh, in regards to this particular topic. How important is it that we get this story out and to definitely educate and inform the, inform excuse me, America and its citizens? When you see that this is happening just weeks ago, you have George Floyd
3: happened years ago. Change was supposed to happen, change never happened. We see this just a couple of weeks ago on July 15th, Brianna Greer was taken into custody by the officials from the Hancock County. Georgia Sheriff's Office for intoxication, but later died after suffering two skull fractures related to falling out of a moving patrol car after being detained. Her parents called 911 because she, the 28-year-old was drunk, not because she was drunk, but because she was having a mental break related to
2: schizophrenia. Okay. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We're going to get into the details of that story, understanding understanding that the actual law enforcement folks actually arrested her from her home. Uh, she was intoxicated in her house. Is that correct? That's correct. So how do you arrest somebody for having a drink in their house? Yep.
3: And when her parents called 911, they w- they were expecting an
2: ambulance, not the police. Gotcha. And said the young lady fell out of the vehicle, which is next to impossible uh, because those doors are supposed to be securely uh, locked where if I'm in the back of a police car, I can't jar the door open. Right. They say she kicked it open. Handcuffed. Handcuffed. Behind her back. Yes. Okay, we're going to deal with that. Uh, it doesn't seem uh, too realistic to me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial into this show if you have something to add to this story. 646 200 0628. 646 200 0628. We will continue. With this story tonight, where are we now since the death of George Floyd? Where will we be a year from now? Or will the numbers continue to climb out of control? We're going to discuss it and much, much more on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
4: I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity.
2: I stand for dignity.
5: I stand for respect. I stand for fairness.
6: Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? The ocean be if all the sponges were taken out Can you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar
7: get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org.
8: Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically comparatively and the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high so socially concentrated we're no longer incarcerating the individual but we're incarcerating whole social groups the rate of incarceration now about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men were born in the late 1970s and who are growing up through the american prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70 percent so going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling that's become a normal life event that's really only happened in the last 10 years we're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out, and there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prisons as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty, and we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with.
9: Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories, not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. There's a
10: lot of mud when it rains here and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because they don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends, but I know it's all going to be okay it's all gonna be racist. I just want my family to be safe but these are not my words these are not my words these are not my words.
2: ladies and gentlemen of AJC Radio tonight as we continue and conclude our series on where are we now since the death of George Floyd and the police abuse, the police brutality that's happening in custody. Not only police officers, sheriff deputies in county jails, as well as correctional officers that are actually in the Department of Corrections uh, at each particular state. It is absolutely outrageous. Uh, We've basically reviewing and rewinding the clock, if you will, of the things that we have talked about prior to George Floyd. The behavior, and we talked a little bit last week in regards to the culture of things being what they are, and that, of course, being the reason why it is a brass wall, if you will, to get through and, and, and institute change. It's almost next to impossible because of all that is actually going on. So we're going to deal with that tonight, and uh, we're very happy uh, for all of our listeners tuning in tonight. Again, feel free to dial in at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And Dave, I believe there was another story uh, that you were talking about earlier, uh, Dave Zapolo in regards to uh, police violence that, is, that is, again, continues to escalate after the death of George Floyd. We've got this woman that, that fell out of a police car,
3: Okay, you don't fall out of a police car. And the police are saying that she kicked out the back door. Well, you're not going to kick out the back door either. What was she, superhuman? It just doesn't make any sense. Her parents called because she was having a schizophrenic crisis. She had alcohol on her breath in their home, and the police arrested her. The parents were like, stay calm. It's okay. They're going to help
2: you. They're going to help you.
3: She ended up dying. How does this happen? This makes no sense.
2: Well, it happens because, again, the culture is at such a level that nobody is calling these officers into question. Whenever you have an incident with police officers, and again, we'll say a disclaimer at the top of the show, we we are aware that all officers do not behave in this fashion. Uh, And for the officers that do a good job, we salute them. Uh, but tonight and over the last few weeks, we have to deal with the abuse that's happening within law enforcement. And it continues to happen almost to the day. Uh, dealing with this lady, number one, when you're handcuffed in a police car and your hands are behind your back, the opportunity to kick what those police cars are made of to basically kick through a lot and bolts and whatever you have there uh, with that type of force is impossible. But they think we must have fell off a dump truck yesterday, and nobody's aware that that explanation is unacceptable, and if people at that department take
11: that as truth, we have a bigger problem than what we thought. Kendrick. And, and the problem is a police car, if you ever been to the back police car, is designed... To lock you in and hold you prisoner. Absolutely. You're telling me that there's never been another instance before this of another uh, person under arrest kicking a door open. That's never happened until now. Now this woman is the first one. The woman, guess, or unless there was a, a serious design flaw in this police car, to where all of a sudden she's able to kick the door open and then jump. Out the car and have a movie car. That's just totally not feasible.
2: Well, what raises a question is: was the car deliberately left open? Exactly. That's a possibility. Did the police officers leave that car door ajar? And this is speculation. But or when you or start, were they back in the backseat with her and threw her out. Nobody has, and nobody can witness that because there are no cameras, at least from what I've read of that story. That, that there were no cameras, no dash cams, but the dash cam. Uh, point the other direction, not in the actual uh, police car itself. So uh, that is very disheartening to hear that. How how old was this young lady? 28. 28 years old. She had twin daughters. How old were they? Do you know? Um, I don't think it says here. And three-year-olds. And this is all of the officers going to her location. Uh, And who called the police? Her parents because they they called 911 hoping
3: that an uh, an ambulance was going to come and take her to the hospital to help her get
2: treatment. So they called 911 and they end up having their daughter die the day they called law enforcement for help. I mean, this is a ongoing broken record. Uh and it should not be happening and the fact that not in my opinion there is not enough of consequences instituted for nonsense like this it's not about having a discussion it's not about well we need to have this dialogue people are dying they're they're going leaving their homes leaving the streets in body bags for what reason because officers happen to go to this lady's house you say she had she was intoxicated in her home yep. she's not behind the wheel of a car
3: and and what really gets you is not only did the parents lose a daughter but they convinced her to
2: try and stay calm and go with the police because they will help you. so they persuaded her look the cop look i'll tell you right now that narrative is going to change drastically it's already changed in a lot of inner cities a lot of places where police are not respected because of things like this it's not about hating police officers people continue to die and this lady goes out of a, she's rolling out of a car, a moving, a moving vehicle. Car. And who is responsible for that? And what evidence do you have to support that the car door was kicked? I guarantee you, there are a lot bigger people with a lot more strength who've been behind, uh, sitting in the back of police cars that would have easily kicked the door open if it's that simple.
3: I mean, if you have the child locks engaged on your car today, you're not getting out
2: of, you're the, not getting out of the car. And number one, uh, you got to fall over, lean over, get positioned. You're not going to kick the door on your side, which means i got to lean over, somehow maneuver on my back, somehow maneuver my leg. This is all happening, but you're telling me the officers in the car or not seeing her get in these positions and wondering, that is a bunch of baloney, if I've ever heard it. No disrespect to baloney. Yes.
12: Yeah, uh, time's out for the, all this blame game. The cops always want to blame the victim. It's their fault that they got hurt. It's their fault that they got killed. They would have bl- blamed George Floyd if it, if it weren't on camera. So she kicked the door open, you know, so it's her fault that she died. That's the same thing they did with Trayvon Martin, You know, so every time somebody's dead, they say, oh, it was their fault. They had drugs in their system. They this, they that.
2: That's nothing and, to do and, with and, it.
12: And, and the, the public is so gullible to be bought in uh, by these excuses
9: and
13: by these lies. from the Dennis?
14: Yes, and, and I was thinking about it when you were uh, talking about how it's a culture. I thought about, you know, uh, back in my youth in uh, Syracuse, New York, uh, My
2: mother called the police uh, because my two brothers were fighting, and it was the worst thing she could have ever done. uh, Because when she, when the police finally arrived, they arrived in like you know they had paddy wagons, all kind of vehicles. Before you knew it, it was my brothers were being brutally beaten. Really? When we actually went to the prison uh, to visit them, that's I'm trying to make a point that this culture has been going on for For years. So when we finally went to visit him, I mean, one of my brothers was unrecognizable, meaning that after after they took him from the house,
11: they went
14: somewhere else. They had to because, I'm, I mean, he was unrecognizable. But my brothers was like, yeah, they took us to behind a a, a a shopping
2: center and, of course, beat us. So
14: this is the kind of stuff that
12: if it happened then and it's still happening now,
2: what are you going to do? What are you
12: going to do? When, when is
2: it ever going to stop? And, and that's the question. And it raises question whether uh, the b- abuse of this country and of law enforcement is embedded so deep into our society. And because people truly do not suffer uh, meaningful consequences, calls a deterrent. a deterrent. You don't have it. Uh, We got the George Floyd situation with this officer, which should have been charged with premeditated murder. That's what he should have been charged with. At the time that George Floyd laid on the ground and he said he could not breathe. And Chauvin doubled down his knee on his neck further. That is an act of premeditation. He's already told you he cannot breathe. He said, please, I cannot breathe. Prior to that, when when Floyd was pulled over, he made the statement to the officers and the chauvinists. Man, please don't kill me today. Please, man. My mom just died, he said. Man, please don't kill me, man. Please. He begged for his life then. You had every intention of killing George Floyd. But the, the, the point I make here with that is, still, he gets second-degree murder. Why not first-degree? Because the culture says we don't punish cops. Surely there's a reason why Mr. Chauvin took him down. Because Mr. Floyd was big. He was an African-American but he was no threat whatsoever. He was no threat. So you talk about culture, and I'm very sorry what happened to your brothers, but the point is taken. This has been ongoing for years before I ever got here. You had issues with that. You had people definitely in the South that you had major issues with racism down there, and people are being stopped and 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 harassed. Even before that, people are people are stopped by people, racist people, law enforcement people. They're lynched. They're hung from trees. So no, this isn't anything new. But it's a disgrace in this country when we supposedly have come further than what that we say that, that we were before. And the lady I told you we got on an airplane once, and, and uh, we were dealing with some other issues uh, on our way to D.C. At, uh, at one point. And she made the statement to me: "She says I can't remember if I'm living in the 1960s or 2000 and after." She said, "I don't. I cannot distinguish between the two. That's a big problem."
14: And uh, you you can't distinguish that. That's a that's a profound statement. And this is a lady that obviously grew up in the civil rights movement. And and we've all seen the pictures. Uh, to this day, when I see a certain dog, I, my mind goes back to the, the, the marches in Alabama. So again, if for someone that's lived this, in America this long, and when you tell the American public that we need to change this, it's almost like they're tone deaf. Like, what are you talking You're about? They're
2: tone deaf, because guess what? You're going to say we need to change
14: it, but it continues to happen. And that's the problem. Because if I don't empathize with a fellow man if I don't empathize and see how is it in her or his shoes, there's no way I'm going to feel anything when they go through something like this. And that's why, you know, you you have to hit their pocket. This
2: administrative leave with pay, this stuff is ridiculous. We're going to sit you at a desk. I mean, until we until we put policies in place where you're going to pay for what you did, either either in the judicial system or monetarily. Until that happens. They're going to continue to do what they're doing because hey, what are you going to do? Well, put me on administrative leave with pay. Hey. Well, the, the, the problem oh. you got is they should be criminally charged exactly, and exactly. convicted. Exactly, it's not about just charging. I'm coming to you in a moment, uh, William. It's not only to be charged with the crime; that's politically correct. We need a conviction, and we need a serious punishment for taking human life.
12: Uh, Stepson. no, you're absolutely right in the fact that, I mean, we, the system has created this, this self perpetuating process where, you know, basically if you're a person of color, if you run, well, then you're guilty. If you stick around, you still might be guilty. So, I think it's just, a, it's a roll of the dice, you know, where, where it's like you can't trust the cops, you know, in most instances to do the right thing, you know, regardless of what the bias may be out there or what the color that the, the alleged person's, maybe they instantly see somebody that looks darker than them they go directly to the, either the handgun the baton or the taser they don't even go for the fact of like hey let's de-escalate this and actually find out what's going on I was reading a, um, a story about this 25 year old man in Tennessee he was accused of rolling through a stop sign and was beaten and tased to the point of where he had to be taken to the hospital to have stitches and his, his attorney later said that one of the cops even had their foot on this young man's throat, and if that's not reminiscent of George Floyd, I don't know what is. But the fact of the matter is, there's there's nothing in place with teeth that's going to stop these officers from acting out like this. You know, what? forget the administrative stuff, put them behind bars, put them in a jumpsuit, you know, and give them you know five to ten or more because the fact is they're endangering this
2: the society that they have been charged to protect. And I'm here to tell you, they'll never do it. No.
1: They'll
2: never do it. They're not because the culture won't allow them to do it. That's the power of culture, William.
12: You know, you were, you hit on it because <clears throat> as we've talked about this story, we've talked about it several times. And one of the, and in my research, I did not understand the origin of policing in this country. Policing was at one point it was voluntary. People would would patrol the streets at night and uh, report people that that violated laws. Policing that we see today. Its origins started post Civil War, free slaves in the South, where the police were there to deter African Americans that now, well, former slaves that had all of a sudden a right to vote, deterred them from making a vote because all of a sudden the former slave owners saw their slaves standing in line with them to vote. So what they did was that it was it was used to deter them. And that was what it was.
2: Uh, it, look. Uh, again, this is this is not anything that's new. Uh but through through the source of doing your homework, how far back? Well that's uh, you and think. the further you go back, the more racist things had become.
12: Right. So you think of that's, that's eighteen sixty three, Emancipation Proclamation, eighteen sixty three. So right after that, this is when this stuff starts happening in the South so visibly that it still carries on to today. So we're not talking about something new. To, to your point, this is nothing new. But what what you're seeing is is that for some strange reason, because they have a badge on their chest, they they're, they number one they're assumed to be correct. They're assumed that they're justified in what they did. That's why when we were talking a couple weeks ago about Jalen Walker, all of a sudden sixty shots are fired at this man. But it's not considered a mass shooting. Is it
2: considered justified?
12: Yeah, is it uh, 60 shots at one unarmed man that's running away?
2: But they considered it justified, they, correct? They, they would, they will, would, they will push They defended it. They'll defend it. They will okay. defend it every time. I'm gonna play a clip. I'm gonna come back with some more comments here. Um, this is uh, Rancho Cordova police accused of using excessive force on a 14-year-old black teen? So, to the clip
0: stop stop
9: stop black lives matter sacramento shared this video this morning they say it shows a rancho cordova police officer using excessive force on a 14 year old abc 10's van too is talking to police tonight she joins us now live and bring us up to speed
4: Well, Chris, the incident happened behind me here on Monday on Mill Station Road and Matherfield Road in Rancho Cordova, apparently over a Swisher Sweetser car, a tobacco product. Now, officials say the deputy was responding to this neighborhood after several complaints of someone selling uh, tobacco, alcohol, and drugs to underage kids. Stop!
0: Stop!
4: Now, this video you see was sent to us by Black Lives Matter Sacramento say that the Rancho Cordova police officer used excessive force on a 14-year-old, the boy's family, launching a hashtag Justice for Jaw on Twitter. They are saying that they will pursue legal action, saying that the team fell victim to excessive force over a nonviolent crime. Now, the Rancho Cordova Police Department and the Sacramento Sheriff's Office have launched a use-of-force investigation. They say this all started after the deputy noticed a hand-to-hand exchange between the teen and an adult. The adult left as the deputy approached, and officials say the teen refused to give up his ID and claimed that he was 18. When the deputy tried arresting the boy on suspicion of a crime, the teen resisted, according to police. Now, his spokesperson for the sheriff's office said, "Well, this type of situation is hard on everyone, the young man who resisted arrest and the officer who would much rather have him cooperate. The community should know our deputies have a heart for Rancho Cordova community, especially for the youth they serve. Now, we are told that the team was cited and released to his parents. We have also reached out to the family awaiting comments.
9: Our Van 2 reporting live for us tonight. Stay with us for updates on that developing story.
2: And this goes back to what we discussed prior to that clip. 14-year-old boy um, sets a force on a kid. It doesn't take a genius to recognize a kid from an adult. You know what a 14, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, there's no perimeters that these officers will not cross. There is no line. Uh, it brings me back to Trayvon Martin, who simply went to a 7-Eleven store or convenience store to get some Skittles and some iced tea. He wasn't bothering anybody. Uh, I believe uh, his parents lived in a, a decent neighborhood down there. Um and to get the gentleman's name. Um, who? Zimmerman. Zimmerman. followed this man. He calls nine one one. Nine one one advises Zimmerman do not approach the team. He's not doing anything. He said, "Well, he looks like he's up to no good." Well, there goes the black card again. He looks like he's into something. Look what he's wearing. Um we did have the opportunity to speak to Trayvon Martin's I believe mother who appeared on this show. What a tragedy. Zimmerman approaches this guy, wrestles him to the ground. The kid didn't have a weapon. Zimmerman had a gun, is that correct? Yeah, he had a, he had his uh, concealed carry. And the thing is, he,
12: when Zimmerman approached him, he was like, "What are you doing in this neighborhood?" Like he had no right. Exactly to Exactly right. As like, I mean, that's racial profiling in its most disgusting displays. Like, because his skin's darker than yours, you can't live in the same but community.
2: I think what should have happened if law enforcement, which was nine one one, told you do not approach this team. They gave you a direct order to leave the situation. You pursued it anyway.
12: Well, you got some guy wanting to be some community watch hero, is what it was. He hunted him down. He hunted him. He hunted him down. That's what it was. And then, not only that, after after all this stuff was going on, uh, certain talk, well, certain radio, you know, organizations and things like that were, and he was basically being justified and patted on his back for the actions that he did. And he was a criminal. He was, bottom line, he hunted the boy down and killed and him. Killed him. And Contrary jury, to what the police had told him.
2: And a jury acquitted Zimmerman. Is that correct? Yeah. Found him not guilty? He, he got off with, I think, self-defense because
12: he discharged his weapon because eventually in the in the fight, Trayvon Martin started getting the better of him. But he ran the – here's the difference. Oh, no, no, no. I agree. I agree. Like, Trayvon Martin was defending himself so, against a man that was hunting him down.
2: So here's the issue, which this is why people don't trust the jury system. This is Why? Well, you know, he defended himself because he was wrestling with this black kid. He followed this kid. That's what I'm saying. He, he was the instigator of the He instigated that. So the, the guy's walking away. If I run into somebody's front door and take a bullet in my chest for going through that front door of somebody's private residence, what do you think is going to be the outcome of that? Not the person that, that that shot you because you went to their house and opened their front door. You don't know if that's an intruder or not. They're not going to suffer. They shouldn't suffer any consequence. You came in the man's house. You went to this man's location. You followed him and asked for trouble. If you're asking for trouble that way, you will find it. And then you take the coward way out and shoot this young man because he's whooping you good on the ground. You never would have been in that situation had you followed what law enforcement told you to do in the first place. This is the stuff you're talking about that is so disgusting because there's no value on Trayvon Martin's life. He's just another dead black person. That's all he is. But when you think about all the the police officers and the chases, I'm never going to understand this. I'm never
14: going to understand this. If you got the license plate number,
2: you have you know you, you know the individual in the vehicle. Why am I chasing this individual? Why? Why am I on a high-speed chase, firing, firing rounds? For what? It's all about the chase. It's all about the hunt. It's, it's, it's like, hey, hey, here's my turn to kill a black man. And it's just getting ridiculous. Well, coming back, we're going to deal with a story Nick Wright has to share with us as well as some other clips we're going to play. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I feel free to dial in tonight, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Where are we now is the question of this show. No better off than we were two years ago when George Floyd begged for his life and was killed in front of the whole world. This is AJC
15: Radio. We'll be right back.
14: We have a big problem.
13: The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you, but do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent, but that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crimes. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're gonna write you a run-on sentence. On average, 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're ex con they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? 911, operator 911, where's the emergency? 127, Vermeer.
16: Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza
17: for
16: delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. This is an emergency yeah, line. A large with half pepperoni, half mushrooms. Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency you line. Do know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am, is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. And you're unable to talk because. Right, right. Okay, is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no.
1: Yes.
16: Okay, um it looks like i have an officer about a mile from your location are there any weapons in your house no can you stay on
1: the phone with me no uh see you soon thank you there was a shooter when
16: news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away who's left
8: the families
5: gun violence is real it affects more people than you would ever imagine.
18: Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident.
5: Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing.
12: Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human
5: being. These continue to happen, and more people have join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of.
12: There's families that are not getting the help that they need.
5: It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have.
18: So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love,
5: compassion,
18: and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier.
5: Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever.
12: Oh, with the support of others.
1: They will get stronger.
8: We can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration.
19: Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself, and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there, the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself
0: for not being strong enough to put down the gun. To break the cycle.
2: Back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we are on very difficult grounding and really at a point of decision in this nation, it is uncomprehendable. No matter how many times we hear of police abuse, brutality, and killing, it troubles us just the same, if not more. The question is tonight, how can one be optimistic that perhaps in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we will see change, that the body bags that are filled in this country from acts of officers, that's absolutely unnecessary. I'm not as optimistic. As we said before the break, the culture in this country
1: uh,
2: has been this for a very long time. When does a man's or woman's color of their skin ceases to be an issue or is a death sentence because one is darker than the other? That is a, that is a serious, serious problem. David.
19: Well, the problem is, uh, I think is somewhat deeper. Um, the overall prevailing thought in this country, police are inherently good. Uh, poor Black people, especially uh, poor young Black men living in inner cities are bad, are bad people, period. That's the fundamental prevailing thought in this country. Now, if you piggyback a little bit off Will was talking about the historical precedent concerning uh, what happened during the Emancipation Proclamation, um, the term "law and order," you hear that term all the time on the news about law and order. Well, that term was established for the purpose of originally established for the purpose of charging black men with and convicting black men of crime so they could move them back into slavery. so that's one area uh and then except and then then you talk about at the same time that they were doing that with the law and order thing they abolished slavery except for crime and punishment. So it was a uh, it was a calculated move that we would use law and order, the term law and order, uh, put crimes on black men and then send them back into slavery. That was, uh, I think the book, The New Jim Crow also highlighted a survey. Now this is very telling where they showed uh, a video or, or uh, clips of white men pulling a cell phone out of his pocket, uh, both white and black men who were pulling actually cell phones out of their pocket. Well, the white men were perceived to be pulling a cell phone out of the pocket while the black men were perceived to be pulling a gun. Sadly to say, this stuff is so embedded in the culture that both whites and blacks in that survey perceived the black man of not pulling out a cell phone, but also pulling out, a gun so this stuff has been so uh indoctrinated uh whether it be through subconsciously through films that young black men are violent they're bad um and for years uh young black men were perceived or only portrayed on tv as gun-toting violent drug dealers if you watch a lot of the tv even when we used to watch 48 hours they heavily focused on crimes committed by black men so people are watching tv and all this stuff is being uh these negative images of poor uh, of poor young black men are being uh washed into their brains that these are who these people are and now we're we're not necessarily shocked when police are continuously killing people because this is the way society has props up police to be good upstanding individuals while poor black people especially young black men are perceived to be violent uh violent predators
2: well oh, absolutely right and uh, william go ahead
12: no i enter back what david said that was a social experiment a while back where they had little children um, that would go and pick a doll based on the color and most of the children would go pick the little white doll and you realize that this is almost a, a programmed and accepted Behavior now, it what it basically says is that we, as a culture, what we're being fed over a long period of time, immediately faces the fact that color plays into um, people's judgment of for good and bad. And so, to David's point, you know, when you, I'm recalling myself, you think about the, set, the shows we used to watch growing up. There it was it, it was white police officers chasing young black men or some black men that were committing some kind of violent crime. And that's what we've, we've been force fed to see. And so now, one of the things that we've talked about as well is that police are no longer policing areas that they live in. They police areas that they're not neighbors with, with, uh, with, uh, their fellow, um, citizens. Well,
19: yeah, the police are, uh, uh Uh, feel they're needed down there to deal with the violent blacks
12: right by and large that that's that's the over prevailing thought in this country right but you remember growing up a lot of times some of the police officers i remember as a little as a little boy some of the police officers they lived down the street so they didn't police in a neighborhood that they didn't live they had a relationship with their neighbors now it's not like that i've met police officers here in in this area they were they lived here on the north side of Colorado Springs and they were policing in fountain. So when you think about that, they have no relationship with the people that that they come in contact with day in and day out. And those people have no no real reason to trust police officers. That police officer in particular and backed with what they've been seeing for the past couple of years, with what we've seen from Michael Brown to Trayvon Martin to Walter Scott to Freddie Gray to any why would we why would we
2: but, you know, choose to trust police officers. Well, you're not going to. It's that. It's that simple. It's not about what we should, you know, try some dialogue. It's 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 over, in that sense, and it's over in that sense because you're still killing people without a cause.
19: Well, it's nope. oh Lamont. It's even bigger than that. Like I said, we here suffered a wrongful conviction. Prior to that, we none of us really had any major run-ins with police officers. But right now, not only given what happened to us, uh, other other things you see, and we were doing the right thing and still went to prison. Right now, I want no parts. I don't trust any police officer. I don't hate them, but I really don't want to have dealings with the police officer or the courts or prosecutors because they showed us firsthand that the DAC is tech. Now, word of mouth travels, the people we know and just like in inner city word of mouth is traveling this is happening to people and you think people in inner cities are going to trust police you got black men right here that live in middle and upper middle class neighborhoods that aren't going to trust police and so this this thing runs deep they've they've done it for too long and it's almost an intractable problem to gain gain trust
2: back uh for police although it's it's the The impact sitting in this chair, I still see the face of George Floyd begging for his life. I still see the gentleman
12: two weeks ago
2: walking away from police officers and he takes 60 to 90 shots in his back. I see Brianna Taylor lying dead in an apartment as officers are dishonest with her mother, knowing full well what has happened. I see the gentleman in Minnesota, his name Orlando Castillo reaching for his license. As asked by officer, and he says, I have a gun. He is complying with police. And his clip is emptied into this man in front of his daughter.
19: But he couldn't get past his perception that no matter what that black man was doing, just like the cell phone, he's not pulling his license out. He's pulling a gun And that's what I'm going to perceive because that's what I've been conditioned to believe over all these years. And that's the culture
2: of police. And the bottom line is, if you think trust would ever be gained, because too many lives have been lost and continue to be lost, for me to wake up and say, well, I don't have to worry about, there's not an African-American male, probably across this country, That when he sees lights behind him, does he wonder, will I die today? But you want us to trust in a system that is filled with hate. The foundation of this culture is hate. There is no proper word for it. There is no politically correct statement for it. It is loaded with hate. If you can look at, excuse me, real quick. If you can look at an African American in a car with a three-year-old daughter, and he cautionly says, "I'm reaching," he has no intent to do anything, and you, that man dies in front of his little girl and his fiance. You cannot. Certain things you can go so far over the line. This culture, this society continues to cross the line. There's never enough time for a person to heal from those wounds, the mental wounds that are in people's minds. There's never enough time because as soon as you think, not again. It happens again and again and again. Where are we? Since the death of George Floyd, we are nowhere. We are actually gone backwards. We haven't gone forward.
5: Yes. I was just going to make a comment. I think one of the issues is is society is oblivious. They don't, it's like they only live in their bubble and they don't see anything. We did an exercise at the job because we have so many people who are pregnant. And so they were saying, you know, what are you thinking about? What are you fearful? And I'll say that my white counterparts were, oh, I'm, you know, scared to be a parent. Will I be able to send my kid to college? Um, you know, will my doctor be, will my child be a doctor? Will they go to the school? And when they've got to, two of my counterparts that are black, one of them, she started crying. She said, um, it must be nice that that's your worry. My worry is, will my son make it till he's 20 years old? Right. because uh they start talking about trayvon martin the uh- Tamar rice is my so my fear is will my kid even go through because he might be shot and killed? um my fear is you mm-hmm. know, will my son be pulled over, will he be beaten by cops, and you could see we're on video, and everybody was like like scared to even make a comment. It's like, oh, you brought the mood down, but you asked a question, and that's why I said people are like they don't see. What African Americans go through in our society—it's so, like I said, blinders on—and they're like—and she starts crying, and they're looking at her like, "Oh my God!" Because you're talking about something as simple as, "I want to send will my son go to Yale? Will he will he be a doctor?" And she's talking about, "Will my son even live long enough to even go to college?"
14: And as you talk to Nick, that—that's what gets me in my mind. We all see video. We see in Boulder a white gentleman go into King Supers and kill 10, uh, 10 people. He's walked out alive. Mm-hmm. You go into the uh, Parkland in Florida. I forget the amount of students. He walks out alive. So you're telling me, uh, us as African Americans see this, mm-hmm. and yet a black man, nothing in his hand,
1: mm-hmm.
14: uh, perceives. So you, you watch one media story that a man uh, commits a massive killing. He's walked out alive. A black person reaches, as Montfoy, uh hey, informs the officer. So back to your point with that exercise, we're tired of seeing the gross indifference for life. Oh. That's why the, the black lives matter. We matter, but when we look at the media and say uh, a, a, a Caucasian man has got all this, this violence and he's walked out alive, we, that's, that's puzzling in my well, mind.
2: And here's my thing. As I said a week ago. If a white person was killed in the fashion that these African-Americans have been killed, I would be equally as outraged. Agreed. That's the bottom line. Nobody, I don't care where you come from, what race you are, should suffer at the hands of officers. My mind goes back to Eric Gardner, whose mother appeared on this show shortly after her son's death. And what you cannot lose sight of is when he begged and kept pleading with that officer, telling him, I cannot breathe. He said, please. And on the video, he has his hands up. And he's pleading, man, why are you bothering me?
17: I can't breathe. Please.
2: Those are images They simply don't go away. They don't go away. And as I saw that video before we did the show on it, over and over again, I played that video. And you saw death take them.
19: But do you know it would go away if police were actually held accountable? People kill people in this country.
11: But that's the point. Um, If you look at this... Killing black people has always been supported by the law, from the lynchings to up in the day with just police killings. There's never been a strong legal kickback to it. So even you, even though there's Derek Chauvin, I'm afraid Derek Derek Chauvin's going to be this.
19: He's the anomaly. Yeah,
11: he's going to be this sacrificial lamb of look, we got one. But are you going to see others? I mean, are you going to see a real push by the law enforcement to say, hey, you know what, we need to stop this? I don't think you will. No. So until yeah. you still you see, but if you're looking at the history, this has always been a support. If you happen to kill a black person, okay. put some crime on them, it's okay. It doesn't matter if it's a citizen, a cop, or whatever. As long as you say they did something wrong, you kill them, nothing happens to you. That's that's going to be something that's not going to change this country. I don't think of my lifetime. There's a bull. But well, when you look at the police
3: complain about the way people look at them. Well, they never take any responsibility for how they're being seen right. I, I look at here's a judge in las vegas a district judge where the police are calling for her to resign because in court this is what she said she said you're a to one of the defendants you're a black man in america you know you don't want to be nowhere where cops are you listen to me you know you don't want to be nowhere where cops are because i know i don't and i'm a middle-aged middle-class black woman I don't want to be around when the cops are because I don't know if I'm going to walk away alive or not. That's a judge. Judge.
2: Wow. Wow. William.
12: You know, uh, I mean, the one thing that I go back to a statement I made, an experience I had with a childhood friend that adopted. And he's white, played football with him. He adopted a biracial kid. And we were going back and forth on Facebook, and it was about this topic about what his kid will face. I said, "For the first time in your life, you're going to have to have a discussion with your child that your dad didn't have with you." I said, "You're going to have to you're going to have to educate that kid because he's of color. What will happen? What what he should do when he gets pulled over?" Right. And I and I said,
2: "Go ahead." Let me let me interject here. So you want to educate him? Follow what the police say. Here's the problem. If you don't follow it, you're dead. If you follow it, you're dead. If you go away from the police, you're dead. If you walk towards the police, you're dead.
12: So what does that educate? Well, and, but the thing is, is that what I, what I saw was, for the first time, what a lot of white America does, they want to avoid the topic of racism. Because it doesn't happen. It goes back to the point you said. It doesn't happen until they don't want to face it until it lands on their doorstep. Well, all of a sudden now, something that he's never had to experience in his 50-some years on the planet. He's raising this child. The child now is a teenager. And we were talking about, okay, well, now he's driving so forth and so on. Okay, well, guess what? You're going to have to have a talk. A talk that your father did not have with you. And you don't have to worry about it, but because you love this child, he's carrying your name, you're going to have to have this discussion. And that means you're going to have to open your eyes to see the reality of what happens in this country. You can't just you know, be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand. You can't do this kind of stuff, and that's what a lot of America does. That's why if you bring up the topic of race, they want to avoid it. A lot of, most people want to avoid it. They want to avoid the reality of it. They don't want to face it. They don't want to see the ugly side of it, but it's real. And and one final point, if it's not death, one in three black
19: men, young black men are incarcerated. So, which is, well, so that's, that's the secondary uh, punishment. Well, we didn't kill you, but we're going to ruin your life and destroy your life by putting you in prison. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's just not a lot of places to go. A positive place to go in in that regard.
2: We're going to play a clip uh, talking about the ratio. And then, Nick, we're going to get your story. The ratio of African-Americans killed um, in comparison to Caucasian uh, individuals. The alarming rate is absolutely um, disturbing. Let's play
15: the clip. But a Washington Post investigation shows that black people in the United States are more likely, more than twice as likely, I should say, to be killed by police as white people. George Floyd's death is just the latest incident this year. In March, Breonna Taylor was shot eight times by police as she lay in bed. Plain-closed officers entered her Kentucky home in the middle of the night without warning. This month, a Sudanese-American man, Yasin Mohammed, was shot dead in Georgia after several encounters with police. Advocates say he may have been suffering from mental health problems. Also in Georgia, police are accused of delaying the investigation into the killing of Jogger Armwood Arbery because one of the suspects has links to law enforcement. I speak now to Avis Jones-DeWeaver, who is the president and CEO of Insight Unlimited, that's a consulting firm focusing on race, gender, and inclusion, joins us on Skype from Woodbridge in Virginia. Uh, welcome to the program, man. Uh, so we have... These victims that I've talked about before, there's others as well, Ahmed uh, Aubrey, as we mentioned there, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, and more. Time and time again, this happens. With lots of high-wringing afterwards, lots of promises for change, and then people walk free and the world ends up forgetting about it. And on we go until it happens again. Yeah, I, I, and I
20: would say the world ends up forgetting about it, but black people don't forget about it, okay? This is a constant mm-hmm. threat that we live under in this nation, and it is very much front of mind. We understand that though we have built this nation and we've been a part of this nation for over four centuries, that we've never been fully given the free rights of citizenship to be able to navigate this nation using just our personal space in the same way that our white counterparts have. Uh, There is nothing that anyone can tell me that would convince me that a white man would have been choked to death in the way that this particular murder happened. And not, first of all, it wouldn't have happened. (laughs) And secondly, if it were to happen, it's unimaginable that the murderer would still be free. And that's what they are,
15: murderers. Every time uh, this happens, people seem to say okay, this is going to be the moment that real change will come. We cannot take this anymore. We cannot accept it, and, and all the leaders say the right things. But it doesn't happen, as, we, as we've already said. But do you think this time there could be a difference?
20: Right. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think so. I have no evidence to suggest that this time will be different. Um, you know, I, I look over the, the history of this nation, and we've been here before. We've been here dozens of times before hundreds of times before, thousands of times before, really, to be perfectly honest, um, Black life clearly is cheap in America. And there is not the same level of justice associated with the murder of Black people uh, in America than it is uh, with other, and particularly with white people in America. Um, and so, though this is an outrage, and though people are definitely responding to the outrage with, I would argue, uh, justifiable rage. Um, The bottom line is, I do not trust this nation to do what's right moving forward, Um, especially since they haven't done the bare minimum in terms of what's right with this case, and that those murderers are still walking free, as I speak to you right now.
15: Right. Do you think that uh, these protests, I mean, more be, immediately, do you think these protests in Minneapolis and in, now in other cities, do you think uh, they're just going to build in momentum, they're going to continue? And then if charges are laid, will that help quell the matter?
20: Uh, I believe that will help. But, you know, I have to I have to tell you, I'm really quite concerned about why no charges have been raised yet. Here's one thing I know for sure, just based on pure good old-fashioned common sense. Truth can be expressed immediately. But it takes time to construct a lot. And I am concerned that the delay that's associated with bringing charges is specifically because things are being constructed to make this ultimately kabuki theater, where the charges will not hold and these people will walk through. Great. We've seen it before. We've seen this movie before. And it's been played over and over again. And so while an arrest will be helpful, we know the script that's often run um, in, in order to justify the loss of Black life. And I believe what we're seeing all across this, this country in relation to this particular murder is a level of tense-up frustration and rage uh, that says no more. And though I'd like to be optimistic that this time might be different, Uh, you know I have to be I'm one of those people with this particular situation where I have to see it to believe it because so often I've been disappointed um, that I really don't expect anything anything different than what's happened previously
15: Avis jones we appreciate your time and your analysis thank you absolutely thank you
2: said some years ago that citizens do not have the right to remain silent in the face of injustice. You do not have the right to hide in your home and act as if that these things that we have discussed tonight are not a reality. You do not have the right to remain silent silent as African American people are shot and killed by law enforcement. You don't have that right. So I sit here tonight troubled beyond words, moved at many times tonight during this show to emotion. Because you sit here and you absolutely cannot believe that this is real. That we have taken so many steps backwards to what society said, we have gone so many steps forward. But every day we are reminded that that simply is not the case. As... Officers continue to take human life. This case, African-American minority people's lives. But it's not limited to just police officers. We see folks that have reported to county jail, mind you, that are presumed innocent when they arrive in county jail. No crime has been proven uh, when you go to county jail, you simply have been accused of some type of a crime that many of them are pleaded out and many are dismissed because there was no foundation for such an assumption. But yet we find even in law enforcement in county correctional officers in the Department of Corrections at the state and the federal level,
12: people continue to die.
2: Um, to Nick, you had a story regarding this.
5: Yeah, this gentleman named Christopher Shaw, who was in county jail in I believe it's pronounced Beaumont, Texas. And, um, he uh, was there. He says that he wasn't irate, um, and it was in handcuffs. They say he was irate and aggressive, but anyway, it was three, uh, two, correct, uh, two, um, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call them correctional officers and then a police Mm -hmm. officer that had arrested him and brought him. It was the police officer that picked him up and body slammed him and his head hit the concrete. Um, He said, they said that there was a laceration on his head and there was blood on the floor. The cop that did this slips on the blood, falls on top of him. The man's unconscious, gets up, leaves him in the cell unconscious. So then when he comes to, they take him to the hospital and the hospital basically patches up the, the, um, his head and sends him back. But they said they had to know he was paralyzed because when they brought him back, they said the officer, he couldn't walk. Now he walks in, but he can't walk. So the officers pick him up, put him in a wheelchair. They said, then when, then they put him in another chair, he's in the cell, he slides out of it. He's begging for help. Uh, they bring in one of the, I guess, attending nurses that work in County. And she makes a statement, I won't help you until you can help yourself. So he goes to the bathroom on himself. He's laying there on the floor for 20 minutes um, crying and begging for help. They finally take him to the hospital and that's when they find out that he has spinal, spinal, um, uh, his spinal, uh, what do you call it? The cord is broke. He is paralyzed from the waist down. And now mind you, this was the third time that he went to the hospital. So all them other times, Nobody has anything to say that with this man's injury. So you get abused at the county, then you go to the hospital, and the hospital doesn't care. Oh, it's just another black criminal. Um, they don't take care of you, and then you go back to the the jail and suffer. And like my mom made the com- the comment before, is that when you're in county, you've just been arrested. You haven't been convicted. And you abuse this man. And then, of course, they, like they always did, we open an investigation. And then come back, of course, the cop didn't do anything wrong. That's all they do is open investigations. And they always come back and say that the police, the correctional officer, whoever, you know, they never did anything. All this, you know, they had the right to do it.
2: So you have and you wonder why there is no belief in this pathetic system. And pathetic is the only word that I can imagine. This man goes into county jail. I don't understand it. I don't get it. This man goes into county walking in there. He cannot walk out. No doubt the slamming this man to the floor. Messed up his spine.
5: And Monte said the cop was already upset because they said they had him under control. He was in handcuffs. And the cop comes, grabs him from the officers. And, but they said before he did that, he was mad about something else. He picked up something off the desk and threw it across the wall and broke it. And then after he did that, then he goes and picks up this guy. So it's like he's taken out his aggression Well, it's just a black man. So.
2: And he should be charged with murder. Not murder because he didn't die, but charged with extreme mm-hmm. assault. Causing bodily injury. Um tragic. You gotta think how hard how hard do you have to slam somebody to the ground
12: to fracture their spine to the point of paralysis. So you took them down I mean we've seen stuff like that, but to take a person down that hard on concrete number one,
2: this man was handcuffed, is that correct? Crack. So, so what no is way. the point of slamming him, period? We, well, yeah. if you softly put him down, yeah, no need to put him down. Well, there lies the problem. Well,
12: you remember, you remember, we had a show that showed a, a video of a lady. An officer slammed a lady. Yeah, she was, do you remember that? And yeah. she and her, all her, I think she lost several of her teeth, mm-hmm. and she was handcuffed. There, they were checking her in, and that's and, and this is. I mean, you know, the thing about all this is that this, as as we're listening to this. These are just the stories that we've seen. What about what we don't
2: know? Well, what
12: we, you know, I mean, because it's going on.
2: Well, I'm going to play a clip right now. Uh, we've played it before. Uh, we've had some tough shows on this show. Tonight is one of the toughest. Because you would think all of this, it didn't take George Floyd to die with some of these issues that have happened prior to the death of George Floyd. No one cried out. Even about this latest story Tanik just read, the clip you're going to hear now is a man who is familiar with the sign of the times in county jail, and he begins to, out of fear, Play the clip. That young man died for no reason. They later left him in his cell by himself after complaining that he couldn't breathe. If you heard the clip correctly, he began to say that he was sorry for something he figured they were going to kill him. so he pleads for his life the officer didn't even know his name we have a serious problem in this country we have a problem with law enforcement we got a problem with black lives simply not matter This man's in county jail On the video of that clip He says Can you get me some help Somebody help me Breathe Go ahead Mark It is
12: It's heart-wrenching when you hear a man's final moments. I mean, he's in there begging for his life. He's telling him he warns the guards, I have pneumonia. If you know anything about the pepper spray that they use, that police use, it is a constrictive thing on your lungs. It will seize up your airways. So when, as soon as they threaten to spray him after he warned them, that is an act of premeditated murder. There is no other way around it. When you know what you're doing to a human being, you're cutting off their airway when they say, I have pneumonia. I have fluid in my lungs. I cannot breathe. He is begging for his life. They are all culpable to murder. I don't care if it was the person administering the spray. I don't care if it was the people standing around calling him an offender rather than calling him by his name. That he, is a, that's a human being. And he's still innocent. Exactly. And he if has, he was guilty. It doesn't, it doesn't matter either way. He is a he's a human being, and he hasn't even been. Pr- he's in holding, waiting to go to a trial, yep. and he was murdered, begging for his life, just asking for a little bit of human decency to be shown to him. But instead, it's oh, offender so and so, we're going to put him back in J pod after we've already sprayed him down with something that's going to kill him while we walk away and just leave him in his cell.
19: Yep. Well. I think it goes back to the big, even, uh, they've been sanctioned under the Constitution. People talk about the Constitution as if it's this, uh, sometimes it's this glorious document. I'm not knocking the entire Constitution, but I've often said that the Eighth Amendment is against cruel and unusual punishment. So it gives people a license to be cruel, which could accidentally lead to somebody getting killed or dying and then uh when they go to court they justify it under the well that's that wasn't that wasn't cruel and unusual so it was cruel but it wasn't unusually cruel so police in many cases especially those in corrections are given a license to uh to be cruel to people in prison and the justification under the constitutional uh law
21: to be cruel
19: um, so it's definitely not surprising, but that's one of the, one of the cultural issues that was in the constitution that, that licensed, uh, law enforcement and correction officers. Yeah, you can be cruel, just don't be unusually cruel. So, uh, at the time, any little thing that a prisoner does, you're still left with the fact, well, the officer perceived this or it claims he perceived this. And therefore, he was justifying and killing him. And then if you look at uh, the courts, they defer – they give so much deference to prisons about, well, we can leave it to the experts in prison to determine the security. We don't – judges say we don't really understand what goes in prison, so we defer to, prison, to the prisons on how they need to enforce security and stuff. All of this stuff, coupled with the Eighth Amendment to cruel and unusual punishment, is just a recipe for people to keep dying in prison.
2: No, absolutely right. Um, let's play another clip. Uh gentleman Louisiana, Irvin Leon Edwards, dies in custody. We'll talk about it on the side of this clip. Let's play it. Irvin
11: Leon
18: Edwards is a 38 year old louisiana man or i should say was a 38 year old louisiana man and in 2013 he and his girlfriend were arguing at a gas station so somebody called the cops on them now when the cops arrived the couple had already stopped fighting but that wasn't enough for the cops so they started questioning edwards about his sagging pants And it just so happens that Edwards was in a place in Louisiana that recently banned saggy pants. So they arrested him. Let that sink in. They arrested him. They arrested him for saggy pants. And Edwards' girlfriend begged the officers as they arrested him. She said, look, just don't... Don't tase him. Don't get too physical with him or anything. Because... He has high blood pressure and he has some mental issues. So just, just, you know, a warning here. Don't, don't, don't do that. Well, um, the cops didn't really listen. What you're about to see is what the cops did to Edwards when they already had him restrained in jail. As you're watching this, keep an eye out for the taser, which one of the officers has pressed to Edwards virtually the entire time. When you see something like that, you think, how could it possibly be the case that so many people were so stupid? There were six dudes in the room. And they just walked out. His body went limp, like, halfway through him being stunned. You notice that, right? Because he kept getting stunned. Which, by the way, is probably one of the reasons why he was squirming, because you were stunning him. There were, like, five dudes sitting on him. He's being stunned, so he's squirming. what What do you expect to happen if you're stunning a guy? So they just they leave. They, he goes limp. His body's limp. He's laying in the on the floor in this incredibly awkward position. Obviously he's not doing it for comfort. And they just leave. His body's limp. They leave. They let him sit there in the same position for nine minutes. Then finally one of them. Nobody's rushing. Nobody's trying to help.
2: question this country has lost her way you are at a loss for words story after story after story after story <sighs> no rhyme or reason to this other than simple cruelty hatred you stun this man on the clip that we just heard you
11: use
2: use the taser on this man you've been warned by his family please do not continue to engage in anything that will cause his breathing his high blood pressure to erupt that would ultimately cost this young man his life. I don't know what to say, other than I am deeply saddened tonight. We've done these shows in the past, but they're just as real as if we just did the show yesterday. It was a young man by the name of Khalif Browder who did a show on. Tragedy upon tragedies with this young man who was at Rikers Island, was never convicted, was never charged with a crime, ultimately ending in the death of this young man. And with the cooperation with officers... He was assaulted, he was beaten, I believe violated in every sense of the word, and was in there and had never committed a crime. We're going to hear his story right now. Let's play the clip.
12: We turn now to another tragic story about a young man who learned the hard way about the troubles plaguing America's criminal justice system. Khalif Browner was arrested at 16, never convicted of a crime, never had a trial, but spent more than three years in one of the most violent jails in the country. Tonight, here is Khalif, in his own words. You're
16: supposed supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but the way the system is,
12: you're guilty till proven innocent. Little did we know Khalif Browner was already dying inside the day we met him. At the easy age of 22, he'd already learned more about America's criminal justice system and endured more than any soul should ever have to. That's Khalif there on the floor inside Rikers Island, New York City's most notorious jail, beaten by a gang of fellow inmates all caught on campus. At the age of 16, he was arrested and sent here for allegedly stealing a backpack. It was like how on earth. We were
16: beaten, stomped by the, the correction officers, and they was just beating on me. They was just beating on me.
12: Beatings captured on surveillance video obtained by The New Yorker magazine, which first brought Khalif's story to light. In this video, we see him being escorted to the prison shop. He appears to speak to the guard, who in seconds is seen slamming him into a wall and then to the ground. And I cry myself to sleep because it's like, I want to go home, and it's like, they're not letting me go home. To go home, Khalif's mother, Benita Brown needed to post bail of $3,000, money, she says, she just didn't have. What was your reaction when you heard that your 16-year-old boy was being sent to Rikers Island?
17: My heart dropped. You know, I had heard so many horror stories about Rikers, and all I could picture was him getting hurt in there.
12: Court records show Khalif had attempted suicide at least six times, spent 1,110 days behind bars, more than 800 of those in solitary confinement. His court date postponed more than 30 times. He endured all this, having never been given a trial, never convicted of a crime. Finally, in June of 2013, all charges against Khalif were dismissed. But his experience exposed the troubled criminal justice system and the brutality of life behind bars. I think at some point,
16: almost a reckless disregard by the prosecutors in this case. They didn't care, Byron. They saw his file. They saw that he was in jail. And he'd probably take a plea, and they were hoping he'd take a plea. He just told me that if I plead guilty, I would release from jail that same day. But I didn't do it. You're
12: not going to make me say I did something just so I could go home. When we first met him November of last year, he was doing better, he said. Earned his GED, started classes at Bronx Community College, pulling a 3.56 GPA. But the psychological trauma from
17: jail had taken its toll. And when he first came home, he would just walk the four corners of the driveway.
12: You hear animals do that have been confined to a space.
17: Yes. He did it. And I had to watch my baby go through all of that.
12: In the last year, Khalif grew depressed, deeply paranoid. You know, deep down, I'm a mess. I feel like I'm a grown old man. And then two Saturdays ago, two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself with an air conditioner cord in his home in the Bronx. He was 22.
17: I didn't know what to do. I... Can you imagine finding your son and he's hanging
12: with his head back? Khalif's death made national news and messages of outrage mixed with sympathy flooded social media. John Legend wrote in an op-ed that New York failed Khalif. Lena Dunham Instagrammed his photo and called for reform. Our interview with Khalif went viral on Facebook. What we now know is that Khalif was due in court to face new charges of disorderly conduct the week he took his own life. His family said he was scared to go back into jail. By now, the beatings he endured in
17: Rikers have been seen millions of times
12: online. What did Rikers do to your son?
17: It destroyed him. It destroyed him mentally. Has anyone apologized to you from Rikers? No. From the prosecutor's office? No.
8: What do you hope happens now?
17: I want them to be responsible, to admit. That it was therefore that my son is dead. He spent three years in, in hell.
8: It sounds like you're in that hell now.
17: I will be in hell until the day I die because I found my son hanging. If your child is murdered, you you have a, an immediate anger towards that person and you want that person found, you know, and, and pay for what they do to your child. It's not one person. It's a whole system that destroyed my son. And I want them all to pay.
15: And I deeply wish we hadn't lost him, but he did not die in vain.
12: New York did away with solitary confinement for 16 and 17-year-olds. Plans were announced to fix crowded dockets and courts to ensure the right to a speedy trial. There are also calls for change to the cash bail system. Currently, only 12% of defendants in New York City make bail.
16: We're in a quest for justice right now, Byron.
12: Paul Prestia, who helped Khalif file his civil suit against the city, says it's not enough.
16: Reform's all nice and well, but admit you did something wrong here. Because that was always Khalif's message. How many young men have to go through this?
15: 99% of the critics will talk all that junk. I promise you, they wouldn't have the courage
21: to do the job that the correction officers do.
12: Bernie Carrick knows the system from both sides. The former chief of the New York City Police Department, he also ran Rikers Island for years. And as a convicted felon, he spent time in solitary confinement.
2: As someone that spent 60 days inside solitary confinement, it creates paranoia. It makes you insane.
12: But he cautions the city against bowing to public pressure and implementing changes, he says, that could put Rikers correction officers and inmates in danger.
2: If you take solitary confinement,
16: away from the correction officials, you're going to see a major, major
2: increase in violence. These are kids that come from gangs. These are
15: kids that ran the streets. I think is very dangerous.
12: What would you do? What, what were think, your suggestions to improve
15: think, Rutgers Island? I think you keep that. You charge the staff that violate the law, and they're locked up.
12: It's not hard to imagine the life he might have led if he would made it. I have the medal hanging on my bed. You see it in the remnants of the life and the people he left behind. Like Elizabeth Payams, program director at Bronx Community College, who worked closely with Khalif. She says she's working on getting Khalif his associate degree posthumously. It's real. <laughs> <Thank> you, <amor. laughs> what do you want the world to remember of your son?
17: To remember him, to stand the person that he was. He was a good person the kind of person who turned down a plea bargain on principle whose
12: story may help save others like him if i would have just been guilty then my story would
13: have been never been heard nobody would have took the time to listen to me i'd have been just another criminal mm-hmm.
2: soon, at the age of twenty two, three years at Rikers Island, case dismissed, but the damage was already done. Don't get it. saddened deeply for the family, the mother of Khalif Browder died not too much longer after as she said she found her son hanging on the side of the house by an extension cord took his life we're going to go and come back take a quick break as we regroup here from a very trying show tonight but one necessary this is right Radio
22: do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501 c 3 Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Because I'm 16, I
4: can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night.
18: Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents.
4: Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent.
9: At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I
5: can't buy a lottery ticket.
20: I can't vote. I can't drink.
5: I can't smoke.
20: I can't join the military.
4: Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record.
10: If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16,
4: my mother had to sign this consent form so that I can participate in this video.
9: But I can go to an adult prison.
4: But I can go to Rikers Island.
9: But I can be sent to Attica.
8: My name is Michael Coriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that.
18: Last
12: week, my father sent me to my room.
4: Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison.
8: We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York.
21: You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is 9 out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads,
7: more sales,
21: and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit Mm csrxp.org
1: As I was
2: growing up, welcome back ladies and gentlemen, as I was growing up, I'm 53 years old today, but as I was taught very well by my parents, my dad ex-military, my mother, a woman of integrity and of Christian values, taught us very well, I never thought today That I would see in what we have reported on this show in the last two hours. Not in a million years did we think we would see this day. And we've seen much more regarding injustice. It is our mission. It is our purpose to uncover injustice, no matter how difficult it is, and how difficult this show has been tonight, as we have heard of one pain after another, we are committed to that cause. Right now we did have a caller that had was tuning in. We've got a few moments left. I want to have him introduce himself. Donovan, are you with us?
16: Hi. Yes, I am.
2: Hello, Donovan. we got a few minutes. I want want you to introduce yourself to our uh, our audience. And, and in brief, I'm going to be in touch with you offline. Please leave your number uh, with our folks that contact you. I understand you went through a type of abuse as well from police officers. Yes, sir. Can you sh- share that with us real quick, please? Uh,
16: absolutely. Um December seventh,
2: two thousand fifteen in La
16: Junta, Colorado, I was apprehended by the La Junta Police Department and um they drove me over to the the Arkansas Valley Regional Medical Center, um, the hospital in Lahunta to get um uh, to get checked by um to get a mental health check. because um, I had been drinking. Um so they drove me to the hospital um they opened up the door and they threw me while I was handcuffed to my face and um it broke my uh 6th and 7th vertebrae um broke my spinal cord so now I'm paralyzed from the chest down
2: Well anything happened yeah, to these officers
16: yeah um as a matter of fact um the officer that actually did this did this to me he became the investigator of um the district attorney's office in La Junta, and he is also now the current um director of the law enforcement academy in Junta. Wow. and um yeah and believe it or not um uh, I would say roughly about a month ago. Uh, I um, seen him. I seen him when I was with my sister and my nephew. Um, I was picking up my meds from the pharmacy, and he followed me in um, in the hallway, and he actually came up to me. Um, he pulled out his hand. I shook his hand, and he gave me a hug, and he cried, and he told me that he was sorry for what he did, and I told him, not to worry about it, that um, I forgave him a long time ago because that's what my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, told me to do, was to forgive those who have hurt me. And that's what I've done. And that's what I explained to him. And it was um, it was a really special moment, I would say. But well, th- Jesus has been really good to me.
2: Well, that's good to know. Donovan, they're going to message you and messenger our team that was talking to you. Please send back your number okay. to me. I would like to call you and talk further with you. Also bring you back on our show at the, at the time when we are covering this again. But I do want to talk to you right away. Uh, I salute you and your heart of forgiveness. Uh, and I think you got a lot to say. and You have a story that needs to be told. I'm so sorry for what happened. And uh, I look forward Thank to you. talking to you. But if you can send back, they've sent you a request in the messenger for that number. Please get it to me. I will call you. Uh, I'll be I'll be calling you from a number seven one nine four three nine of the first uh, three uh, numbers, okay? And God bless Absolutely. you. Absolutely,
16: I'll send it right away. God bless look, you, and it was a, it was an honor.
2: Thank you, our honor as well. We look forward to talking to you. God bless you.
16: Thank you. God bless you. Bye.
2: Well, what a way to end the show. Um, wow. What do you say to that? Donovan is a special kind of person. We're going to talk to him. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be bringing him on air uh, to tell his entire story. We'll keep you posted on when that will be, but uh, we look forward to talking to him. Donovan, thank you for your call. To all of our listeners across the United States and around the world, where are we now has been this series No better than we were before. Until next time, America, this is Agency Radio signing off. Good night.